Hello, Love Chapel Hill family. I'm Riley Simmons. This is Webster. I'm Avery, and this is our new little pup, Dylan. We serve as a part of the welcome team at Love Chapel Hill. We hope you have a good day and enjoy the worship. Hi, everyone. My name is Valerie, and I'm part of the Connections team at Love Chapel Hill. I know these last couple of months have been tricky for me to keep track of things like what day it is or what my work schedule is. And maybe you also are having trouble keeping track of things like your work from home virtual meeting schedule or helping your child stay on track with their virtual learning. One thing that I'm really grateful for is that our church has made it super easy to stay on track with what is going on at Love Chapel Hill. So if you just go to lovechapelhill.com, you can find all kinds of information like what our church is up to, ways that you can get connected with what's going on, and ways that you yourself can get involved in Love Chapel Hill. So visit lovechapelhill.com to figure out the best ways for you to stay connected with our church, and hopefully I will get to see you in some of those ways. Have a great week. Hi, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Amanda. I am missing you all so much, uh, but I am praying for all of us as we continue to go through this chapter where we are apart but not alone. We are going to get through it together as a church family. I want to especially say welcome to those of you who are new to watching our videos. I also want to invite you to fill out a virtual connect card. You can find this in the link that says connect card in the Facebook video description or the YouTube video description. We want to know more about you. We want to be able to reach out and welcome you into our church family. Um, so please use the connect card for that. If you have questions about who we are as a church, or if you have a story about how God has been working in your life recently, we would of course love to hear about that as well. So again, you can find that virtual connect card in the Facebook video description or the YouTube video description. Thank you all so much. I hope you have a wonderful day.
prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Man of The curse of sin has no hold on. 
thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Uh, we're continuing today in our new series that we're going to be in through the fall called Kingdom Tide. And we're looking at the Old Testament. Every fall, we intentionally root ourselves in the Old Testament again. It's part of our overall rhythm of how we move through the year as a church. Uh, we are tied to the historic uh, liturgical church calendar. Um, and also rooting ourselves in that larger overall story of Scripture that we continue to find ourselves in, this story of salvation history, of God's engagement with humanity and His salvation of the world. And so uh, as part of that rhythm, every fall we come back to the Old Testament to make sure we're rooting ourselves in that full counsel and the full wisdom of God's Word, um, and hearing how the Old Testament is revealing more and more layers to us of who Jesus is and why Jesus came, Jesus's identity and Jesus's mission. And so as we uh, look through Jesus as the lens uh, that we can look through to understand the Old Testament, also, the Old Testament is a lens for us to be able to look through and to see and to understand the fullness of who Jesus is and uh, of, of what Jesus' mission continues to be uh, in his engagement in our world. So that's where we are uh, for this fall. We are intentionally walking through the Old Testament prophets. And um, last week we started with Amos, and today we're going to be with the prophet Joel. So we're going to be mainly in Joel chapter 2. That's where we're going to concentrate and stay today. 
Uh, but a couple of things about Joel and some background about Joel before we get started. Um, last week, the context and the cultural backdrop of what was happening in Amos's day completely shed new light for us uh, on the words of Amos. When we understand the context into which Amos was speaking those words of God uh, to the people at that time, uh, that context opens that up for us. It deepens that for us. Joel is different um, because scholars cannot agree on the date, uh, on, on what exactly what was, what was happening in the culture of that time. We don't know when it was written and we don't really know uh, uh, that full backdrop of what was going on in that moment. Uh, so that's a little bit different. People have their uh, opinions on that and, and their theories that they've built out. But almost every scholar, after listing out their theory of when they think it was being written and what was going on at the time, uh, they end it by saying, but nobody actually really knows. So uh, we're, not gonna, uh, we're not gonna dive into that too much. Just, just understand that as we start. Uh, so in, instead of looking at that cultural backdrop of what was happening in the moment, what Joel does for us is gives us a lens uh, of, of a key core day that is coming. Uh, a day that has transformed the history of the world, and it's a day that we are still living in today. So another piece of Joel that's important backdrop and, and uh, context is this. Uh, there's a key theme that runs all the way through Joel, and it's this theme of Joel announcing or pointing to, sometimes he's pointing back to uh, in history, sometimes he's pointing to a current moment, and sometimes he's pointing ahead uh, into the future when he's talking about this. Uh, but five different times in the book of Joel, he talks about something known as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is a key theme in other prophets as well, but it's especially concentrated in Joel. Uh, outside of Joel, it is mentioned 13 other times in the Old Testament, this sense of the day of the Lord. Uh, in Joel, it's mentioned five times. And so you can see that kind of concentration. Uh, seven other prophets talk about it through the Old Testament, but it's really concentrated here in Joel. So five different times. And when he's talking about the day of the Lord and when the other prophets are talking about the day of the Lord, uh, what they're referring to uh, is this cataclysmic moment in history, uh, this encounter with God. Sometimes uh, the day of the Lord is an encounter with God's judgment. Uh, other times the day of the Lord is an encounter with his deliverance and with the liberation and the freedom and the salvation that he is breaking in to bring to his people. Uh, but all of the times, this encounter, this God-breaking-in moment is a cataclysmic kind of moment. It's this sense of upheaval, this sense of massive change that is happening. The old structures begin to break down. And in place of that, where the old structures have broken down, something new is breaking out. Something new is rising up in this day of the Lord. Uh, so Joel concentrates on that quite a bit. Uh, and as we move through the message, we're gonna point to one key day of the Lord that you and I are still living in that Joel points to. So let's get in it. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us 
You are the one that inspired Joel in speaking these words. You are the one that inspired Joel in uh, the writing of these words. And so as we read these words again, as they come to us through the centuries, through history, uh, we just ask that you would speak really clearly, that you would use these words to challenge us, to provoke us, uh, that you would use these words to break down what needs to be broken down and use these words to inspire a breaking out of the new thing that you are doing and the ways in which you're moving in our lives, in our community around us, and in the world right here, right now. Amen. Amen. So uh, here, here's what Joel has to say. Chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at, uh, starting with verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. We're going to stop right there for just a moment. Uh, in the Jewish culture, uh, in the ancient Jewish culture, this rending of the garments uh, was an outward uh, symbol of what was taking place within the heart in repentance. Um, and so they would rend their garments. They would tear them open uh, to signify that there's this deep tear that's happening in their soul, this weeping, this mourning uh, of repentance over their sin as a people, as a whole. Uh, this larger picture of systemic and structural sin, uh, which they lived into and were a part of propping up, uh, and their own personal sin as well. And sin works on both of those uh, levels. That's basic Christian doctrine that sin works on both of those levels. So they were repenting as a people and repenting as a person at the same time. And so uh, in that rending of the garment, uh, it's this outward sign. And Joel is challenging them and he's participating in this with them. Uh, that the Lord is saying to them, don't make this simply an outward sign and an outward ritual that you're going through. Let it go all the way to your core. Uh, I don't care about those outward symbols. What I care about is what is happening uh, in reality within you. Rend your hearts and not just your garments. He goes on to say this, return to the Lord. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the sense of coming awake to your sin uh, and turning. It's, it's this moment of turning and beginning to move in the opposite direction. So return to the Lord your God. And then hear what he says here. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Joel is completely channeling Exodus 34 in this moment. Uh, this beautiful statement about the full character of God. Uh, and the core character of who God is, how he reveals himself to his people all throughout their history. Uh, but it really begins in this key moment in Exodus chapter 34, when God reveals this to Moses. Uh, this is not just what the prophets are telling us that God is like. This isn't just like a discovery and a discernment that prophets are making and then communicating that to us. We think God is like this, that he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. No, these are the words of God himself. 
that when Moses is on the mountain and God is about to reveal his glory to Moses, he hides him within this cleft of the rock and and he says, I'm going to pass by and your eyes and your life cannot see me in my fullness, you will not survive that kind of encounter. The holiness of God. Uh, You cannot stand up under the weight of that glory. So what I'm going to do is pass by and hide myself from you, but I will let you see the back passing of my glory. And as he passes by Moses and reveals reveals himself to Moses in that way, This is what he says about himself, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's absolutely beautiful as he reveals this, the heart of his character to Moses 20 other times, 20 plus other times throughout the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures, this gets brought back. We keep coming back to this core character of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be. That is key, especially when we're talking about the prophets and when we're talking about this announcement of the day of the Lord. When we're talking about these cataclysmic events of upheaval, it is core for us to remember that at his heart, this is who God is. He tells us this himself, and he's proved his faithfulness in that over and over and over again. So even in moments of upheaval, we can trust him. Why? because this is who he is. He is gracious, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, Some people translate this word for love here in different ways. It's this Hebrew word of hesed and and it gets translated in a lot of different ways in how it shows up in the Old Testament. Sometimes as mercy, sometimes as goodness, uh, sometimes as kindness, uh, often as love. Some have translated it as loyal love. In some of the old school English translations, uh, you can see that they're grasping that, that this word means more than what we can say. This word means more than what any English word that we can put to it uh, can represent. And so they put two words together to try to define this word and try to help us understand what it means. And they put together the words loving, and kindness to create this sense of God's loving kindness that this is who he is and so even in moments of upheaval even in these cataclysmic events days of the Lord this is who he is and he's moving out of this character so he goes on and he begins to reveal this even after earlier in the book he's talked about uh, the judgment of God and how it's come against his people and how it's come against other nations. Here's what he says as he keeps moving through this chapter. We're going to be now in verse 21. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. 
the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young locusts, and the other locusts, and the locusts swarm my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Beautiful language. Beautiful language of restoration. And so as he goes through this nature-centric language, um, and he talks about, uh, the wine overflowing, the fig tree and the vine yielding their riches, the trees bearing fruit, the open pastures becoming green for the wild animals. Uh, you get this sense of this uh, returning and restoring of all things. And you get this garden kind of imagery, an echo back to the Garden of Eden, that what was lost in the fall is going to be set right by God. We know that the fulfillment of that comes through Jesus. Now we're moving into the last piece of this, okay? And this is, this is the real center for today. Starting with verse 28. Uh, and he's pointing ahead to another day of the Lord that is to come. Uh, in Joel's time, it's a future event that he's looking ahead towards. In our time, it's both a past event and a present reality at the same time. Listen to what he says. Verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. Let's stop right there. We're going to focus on those words of the Spirit being poured out. But before we move there, we need to pause and we need to take, uh, take account of verse 32. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is right there. There's the gospel, the echoes of the gospel rooted in the Old Testament. This hope that anyone who trusts in the Lord will experience salvation through him. Once again, this comes to fulfillment in Jesus. As we said last week, the prophets aren't just about pointing out the failures of the people. They're always about pointing ahead to Jesus and pointing ahead to the reality of who he is and of that mission. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he came here with a mission to redeem us and to bring us into a reconciled relationship with God. In order to do that, he lived this life, this perfect sinless life. He taught us what the kingdom of God looks like. 
He called us and invited us to follow him into that kind of life. He laid down his own life for us by giving it up as a sacrifice on the cross. And then he picked his life back up again in the power of resurrection. And because of the cross, you and I can have forgiveness of our sins. And because of the resurrection, we can experience new life through him. And Joel promises us, and it becomes true in Jesus, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That's our hope. If the Lord is stirring that in you today, then all you have to do is simply surrender yourself to him and simply call out his name. Simply say that name in the depth of your heart, Jesus, Jesus. Call on his name and he will draw you into new and redeemed life. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The final piece is this. In verse 28, it starts with this prophecy that as I was reading through that, for some of you that sounded familiar, but you know it best not coming from this book in the Bible, but when it's quoted later in a different book in the Bible, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers and the church is born, the Apostle Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon of the history of the church. At the inauguration of the church and the birth of the church on that day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And right at the beginning of his message, in order to try to make sense of what was happening in this cataclysmic moment of absolute upheaval, of the old things breaking apart and of a brand new thing breaking out, and rising up, Peter stands up and he calls on these words from Joel. And he quotes these and he says, And in those days, the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out on all people. The sons and the daughters will prophesy. The Spirit will be poured out on men and women raised up to be the church in the world. It's this cataclysmic moment, this fulfillment of the day of the Lord. That what happens at the cross that leads to the resurrection and then Jesus' ascension into heaven and at his ascension he promises that he will send the Holy Spirit and the Spirit will be poured out on the church and we will be empowered to be his witnesses in the world. We will be unleashed as the old order of things are breaking down. A new thing is breaking out. This kingdom tide rising up and pouring out into the world. That's what happens at Acts 2. That is a day of the Lord that Joel saw coming. And that's a day of the Lord that you and I are still living in. We are in days of upheaval ourselves. We're experiencing this. We're experiencing uh, the breaking down of things. And in that breaking down, we have to have our eyes open to the opportunity and the possibility of what might rise up and break out. What is God possibly up to in days like this? We have been praying as a church over the last year. We're coming to the close of our 10th year and celebrating this 10th year together. 
uh, as a church. And a year ago, we set aside this time. And we said that we were giving our 10th year as a church to the Lord as a year in prayer. Um, it Building up to that, we sensed this pressing over the last several years of God pressing us to pray for awakening, to pray for awakening within ourselves, within our church, within our community and beyond. And so we've been meeting for prayer weekly uh, for that. And then we've been having monthly prayer nights as we are trying to lean into that and uh, respond to what he is pressing us into. And we've been praying for awakening. I think awakening is here. As I've been wrestling through this, I get this sense that awakening is here. It is happening. But awakening is happening in a way that we didn't expect. I think a lot of times as the church, when we think about a spiritual awakening, we think about it in terms of spiritual emotionalism, maybe. Uh, and we get this sense that um, because things will be better when awakening comes, we think maybe then that things will be easier when awakening comes. And maybe when we've been talking about awakening, maybe we're thinking about a time of comfort, about a time of ease, about a time of rest. But comfort, ease, and rest are not words that describe awakening. Comfort, ease, and rest are words that describe a nap. And that's quite the opposite of waking up. And maybe what God is doing in this time is stirring discomfort. He's disturbing our peace because he's trying to shake us awake out of the slumber we've been stuck in. Maybe what he's doing in this time is not giving us a time to rest, but maybe intentionally stirring unrest. He's not causing all that's happening out in that. I'm not saying that. But he's using that to press into us to create this sense of unrest in our spirits. It's not a time of ease. Things don't get easier just because they get better. When Jesus showed up and called the disciples, things absolutely got better in their lives. They certainly did not get easier for any of them. So I think what is happening is possibly awakening. We're being shaken out of slumber. We're being shaken out of sleep. And if you've ever been woken up in an unexpected kind of way, then you know that moment when, when the light comes in quicker than you want it to come. And there's that sense when you're first waking up of feeling disoriented. There's that sense when you're first waking up of the trying to get your bearings. And maybe you even ask those questions if you've been sleeping really good. You might even ask that question of where am I and what day is it? And I think there's a sense of those questions about the time that we are in. Where are we? And what time is this? 
I think where we are and what time we're in is awakening. And it's a fulfillment and a continuation of what Joel promised. It's a continuation of what God accomplished in Acts chapter 2. The church has been unleashed. And as things are breaking down, something new is breaking out. As we've said before, the church, we're not talking about reopening because the church has never been closed. You cannot close that. You cannot close that. And in moments like this, we just see in a renewed way how the church is breaking out. So I want to encourage you that you are in the midst of awakening. And I want to encourage you that as a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not only resting on you, but the Holy Spirit is filling you up. Ask Him to give you a fresh anointing of His Holy Spirit and to give you a fresh awareness of His Spirit that lives within you and a fresh surrender to following where the Spirit leads you. And as things are breaking down, recognize the opportunity for something new to break out. You are part of this kingdom tide of the Holy Spirit that is rising up and that is flowing through your neighborhood, through this community. I think where we are and the time we're in is awakening. It's the day of the Lord that Joel saw that has continued on since the moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts. And we need to be open to follow the Holy Spirit wherever He wants us to go and to use us and to channel us to become this rising tide in this community, this moving of His Spirit through us and in us to continue to bring about awakening in ourselves and as a result to overflow into awakening, awakening all around us. What day is it? What time is it? Where are we? Awakening.
Hi folks, this is Chris. I'm honored this week to have the opportunity to provide the benediction, the good word. Um, what I want to communicate to you is, 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 is as follows, all right? Uh, we're living in really unprecedented times. There's so much civil unrest. Um, the, 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 a lot of the ugliness of our, of our politics is on full display right now with the election on the horizon. People are unemployed. Uh, our kids are, who are in school are at home and not in school. Um, studies are showing uh, the tolls is taking on us mentally. Uh, and I can imagine also taking on us taking on us spiritually as well. All right. Like one of my favorite things about being a part of this community is seeing you all, you know, drinking coffee, chatting with people at the varsity. And that, that hasn't happened in a really long time. Some of you maybe actually have begun um, watching these videos, you know, and you've never actually been step foot in the varsity. OK. And so I want to acknowledge that. Right. And the heaviness of the heaviness of that, the, the difficulty of that. And yet what I also realized, people, and this is this has been a recent revelation to me, okay, is is that God really wants more. That God's kingdom uh, has attributes, okay? Uh, it's, it's characterized by love, okay, and by justice, and by mercy, and by compassion, and by empathy. Um, and I think part of why we look at the world and our hearts hurt is because we realize that there is more, that things ought to be different. And, and, the, thing, and the way that things ought to be or the way that God actually wants things to be, and that, um, and so anyway, my, my prayer for you is this: that as we, even as we sit um, in this moment, even as we wrestle with uncertainty, and you know, and, and and anger and frustration and anxiety and all the emotions that come with being who we are and living in this moment, and all those things are valid, by the way. Okay, don't 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 mishear me. Those things are completely valid. That we also hold on to the truth, hold on to the fact that God and His kingdom. All right. Uh, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, is that it actually comes to earth and that this place can become more just, okay, and more peaceful and more loving and become more like what God has intended it to be. And that's what gives me hope, all right? That's what encourages me. Uh, and, and so I hope, um, my prayer for you is that this week you spend some time thinking about what your role is, okay? What can you do specifically? And not just merely aspirational, but what can you do in your day-to-day -day life? to help make God's kingdom more of a reality in this world. So I offer you that, that word of encouragement and also challenge. Uh, I hope that you have a great week. If um, the weather is not a lot cooler, it's not as oppressive <laughs> now as it is on uh, July and August. Um, and so I hope you're able to experience nature and God's beauty in that way. Um, but yes, what does it look like? What, what role do you specifically play in helping to bring God's kingdom here on earth. So have a great week and, uh, and take care folks. Mm -hmm.